0: Mm-hmm.
1: Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin, well known to my friends as Marv. And this time I am speaking with Vuk, who uh, you may remember in a different guise from a previous episode where I spoke to him about an earlier show that he made, The Fantastic Darwin's Deviations. And this time we're talking about the... Well, I'll let him explain it to you because over time it's changed. It's... um, It's actual. It's evolved into something different. So, thank you for speaking with me today, Vuk, uh, about uh, tracing owls.
2: Well, thank you, Marv, for having me again, uh, despite the way that I acted in the first episode. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, as you say, like it's a whole growth process, and I really like the idea of you having me on for both of my shows as both of my personas uh, last time. We talked about Darwin's Deviations, which was, you know, a little comedy, satirical podcast with a lot of deep thought uh, embedded into it. But I was portraying my uh, character who's kind of an over-exaggerated version of myself. And now uh, the different side of the same coin, myself as myself, just ordinary Vuk from Bosnia uh, doing Tracing Owls, a uh, completely different uh, take on the same, uh, topics that I was covering.
1: So I'm now talking to, uh, the realistic, uh, to put it into a, a pop culture reference, you are now the John Cleese to previously being Basil Fawlty.
2: <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and,
2: and to be very honest, like, uh, the, the. My growth process through the two podcasts that I did kind of reflects my own uh, process in uh, coming out with all of these ideas and intricate thoughts I have about these topics and kind of teaching myself how to talk with people, how to communicate, and how to also be more empathic and more open to other people's views on certain things, uh, which I have... Grown a lot in the past year doing tracing owls and kinda tracing owls has become something much beyond my set intentions for what I wanted for it to be. I wanted to it to be like a little uh quirky show where I talk about paranormal topics and aliens and cryptids and whatnot, but by the end it's like a philosophical stream of consciousness and me going on a journey to talk with various different people about various different topics.
1: Yep, including me surprising you with a previous episode. But Yes. So, uh, what was I going to say? I mean, that 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 you've just said, it it resonates uh, because so, uh, pulling the curtain away, we, we both discussed the fact that I went out last night to a retirement party for a great friend of mine who I used to work with. Um, well, he was my boss, essentially, uh, when I was voluntarily working for the local youth arts uh, movement uh, in, in, in association with the council. And so we were there. And then I reverted back to the younger me because, truth be told, um, I can be quite... It's weird to say, really, because we're here talking on a podcast. Mm -hmm. But in real life, I can actually be quite guarded and a bit sort of like shy and in the back, trying to almost avoid talking to people. And there's a bit of a fear there or something. And I was very much like that when I first started there in the early 90s, about 91, 92, which is – I'm giving something away here. So the name Marv comes from that because – because of being like that, I had there was the misconception that I was a bit sort of paranoid. So I became Marv because of Marvin the paranoid android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That but makes then, sense, man. But then it does it does. But then what happens there is, in a sense, because then I was involved in music and doing music and playing and because it was a recording studio where it was based, they'd got a recording studio for the youth arts that they could come into and record like young people come and record music and so so I was involved in music and playing myself and I found that in a sense I became a sort of almost like slightly different version of myself to be able to go, go up onto stages and perform with bands it's like not the real me it's It is me, but it's like a variation of the real me, should we say, or it was.
2: Yeah, but are you there using your creativity, your art, your music skills to kind of, in a different form of expression or using a different form of language, express yourself? Because if you were shy, you were not uh, able to express yourself openly, verbally, let's say but you can through your music and creativity by using your creative endeavor as the middleman between you and the public.
1: You know, that's an interesting thought because thinking about it, when I've been in those situations where I've been involved with music, like performing or recording, it's almost like that is a gateway to conversation because then it, yeah, it it makes me a lot more, I'll become more chatty then and be, and and the real me will come out a bit more then and and that's sort of almost it's it's almost like i don't know almost like a protective shield in a sense that bass guitar or whatever that's there is the shield, and then that can go away once there's a comfortability
2: maybe or it's a distraction. <laughs> It's oh, like yes. I can I can think now of uh, you know stage magicians and various different ways they distract the public. I always think of, do you know who Penn and Teller are?
1: Oh, absolutely! I love uh, You know, guys.
2: you know, Penn. Uh, he he's the big dude, and he always has his pinky finger uh, polished in red, and he uses that for distraction. And I always think of that like, oh, you can just wave your pinky finger and get the people to look at that uh, and not. Uh, notice what you are doing on the other side.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yes, that's a good point.
2: But uh, for for the listeners, like I said, I do a podcast about the paranormal and aliens and ghosts and cryptids and whatever. Uh, You may think, like, what does this conversation now have to do with that? But it has everything to do with that. So uh, to introduce what my show is, my show is uh, more nuanced philosophical exploration of the paranormal and just general weirdness. Uh, I talk about these topics the way nobody ever wants to talk about them. Usually when we have podcasts about the paranormal and ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot and stuff, people either talk about whether it's real or not, uh, or want to talk about scary stories and the fear aspect. But I talk about it as more uh, ways of expression of humanity and society, a more cultural approach, and also kind of from, from doing my podcast, I've noticed that the paranormal is like linguistics. It's like a language that we use to talk about certain things about ourselves in a very indirect manner.
1: Yeah, because I was saying before we started recording that we—I uh, mean, I was taken by your your chat with uh, Jack about the um, yeah—and you know, I've I've thought this for a while about the fact that you know religion is you know it's just it's another part of that you know almost you know that that thing that humanity's put there, mm-hmm. but it's it's looked at differently because it's got a sheen of. Uh, being acceptable, whereas something that's just as strange and unusual, people might say, might call it that. Yes, so, it's not seen that way. You know, it's but they're all just constructs to a certain depart or a certain way.
2: So you but, are referring to my conversation with Dr. Jack Hunter, who is yes. an anthropologist who uh, studies the connection between consciousness, ecology, and the paranormal and he is a religious studies professor at a university. I had him on twice. Um, I really like his idea of how the paranormal itself is this uh, weird thread throughout society that is wild and rogue and is not under the control of humans, but religion is kind of a domestification of the paranormal. So we domestic domesticate the paranormal that we cannot fathom and kind of reframe it within a cosmology that uh, we are able to dabble with and understand so we may use it for our own purposes and benefits and i I do see religion like that All, all religions there are these commonalities between all religions like Let's say the Noah's Ark uh, and the the Great Flood, uh, those are like archetypes that we see throughout many different cosmologies and religions because we are all human. We all share these ingrained symbols into our collective unconsciousness. Um, And we pull from these symbols when creating religion or what I'd say like fan fiction of the base uh, archetypal uh, Jungian reality uh, of these symbols that we all share. Uh, And we see the same in the paranormal, only instead of gods and angels and demons, we we talk about aliens and Bigfoots, you know, but it's when you look at it, the same thing, uh, assuming a different mask and everybody just uh, attributes what uh, what makes sense to them to something that is underlying, shared by all humans, that is weird and unusual and probably unfathomable to us.
1: Yep. And there was me thinking, I mean, you know, back in the day, um, you know, know, you're going to find something out about me. Back in the day, people thought I was weird and had strange thoughts when I was assuming those sort of things or mentioning these things. Uh, about religion, when I did my uh, diploma in theology, and I was saying about you know that you know like you said about the angels and demons, you know, and I was sort of like comparing that to aliens and phenomena from outer space or phenomena that that people believe, you know, myths and legends, and I was sort of sort of putting them alongside each other and saying you know these are very similar to that, so it's just variations of that and. People were saying when I was doing that course that it was, I was looking at it the wrong way, and I was thinking, well, no, I'm looking at it the way that I looked at it.
2: But you know, that's not so unusual. Like, if we look at the history of uh, ufology, there have been a lot of these uh, incidents that, let's say, religious people perceive as religious miracles or communications with angels or divine beings. But yet uh, the world of ufology sees it as communication with aliens. One cool example is the miracle of Fatima in Portugal, where uh, three children were communicating with what they said was the Virgin Mary. And then a huge crowd of people gathered uh, to witness the sun dancing in the sky. And in the world of ufology, they say, oh, no, this was not the Virgin Mary. This was an alien disguised as the Virgin Mary. (laughs) And this was not the sun. This was a UFO. I say it was neither of that. It is just people uh, projecting their own internal uh, biases and cosmologies onto whatever is happening. But whatever is happening is more symbolic, more archetypal, and can resonate with various different people in various different ways. Somebody who is religious can see this phenomenon as having a Christian basis, and somebody who's into sci-fi can see it as having an alien basis. Um, uh, in, in these circles, a lot of people know of the work of Jacques Vallée, who is uh, a ufologist from uh, France and also one of the pioneers of uh, the internet. Uh, he has been studying UFOs for decades, and he wrote a monumental book in the, uh, it, that was released in 1969, Passport to Magonia, where he does comparative analysis of folklore with the UFO phenomenon. So he drew parallels uh, between uh, UFOs and, let's say, stories in the Bible of people encountering otherworldly beings, uh, stories of angels and demons, and even uh, fairy folklore from the Middle Ages.
1: I mean, I I almost feel bad, really, putting it putting it across the way that I did because, um, you know, it, it makes it sound like I'm just, you know, um, putting it down, but I'm not. Um, and I, I, like, I want everybody to know that I'm not putting it down. So, no,
2: when we say that these are uh, variations and uh, personal interpretations of the same thing, but you know, molded, co-created by our own biases and perceptions of the world around us and of reality and of what it is to be human and our role in the universe. I'm not saying like, that's all nonsense that should be uh, dismissed. I am of the opinion that everything is uh, equally valid because these are various different expressions of what it is to be a human and there is no right or wrong or black or white i am kind of of the uh, monistic mindset that there is only one reality and we are the ones separating everything into black and white and good or bad because our our minds function you know in that uh, duality uh, we always need to side with one side and be against the other side
1: yeah you know some people might look at things and they might say like like you know there's like people when when they see these these you know creatures or whatever and they'll say oh that's just somebody that's seen seen like a, a shadow of Or something of this, this, and this, and it's just like the shadows have merged, and this is why they saw this shadow that looked like this sort of creature. So people believe this because of that. Mm -hmm. So people might just say that from one point of view, but from the point of view, in another point of view, you know, a way that I look at it as well is that there's some sort of beauty there within this, within these mythologies, all these things that that people have, you know, that we talk about. There's something lovely there in the way that. For instance, I remember years ago, this is going to sound, you know, you know i the sick bucket, I suppose. But, you know, uh, I was talking early in the morning with Louise and there were all these birds singing outside or whatever. And then I made up a made-up conversation between them. And I was sort of saying, oh, well, morning, you've been busy yesterday. Well, you know, yeah, I didn't get that many worms, not as many as usual. But then later on, you know, this, that, and the other, took some to the kids. It's like, and I was making up this complete, you know, conversation that these birds were having to make it sort of different to my but And I see it like that as something that sort of just, there's a beauty to it, in a sense.
2: Yes, and even, even if that does not reflect the material reality of what is happening, it still is an expression of something that transcends the material reality. It is an expression of your perception and your uh, use of creativity to form a means of communication with your own uh, significant other and, you know, create this joke and send you guys off on your way to, to deal with, with your shitty day working and stuff like that. I, I think that's beautiful. And all of that was pulled from just a mundane natural occurrence you saw outside your window. So that, that kind of goes with the theme of my show. I mean, why, why is it called Tracing Owls? I had this idea uh, that we are uh, over-exaggerating natural occurrences around us that are very mundane if you take a scientific uh, look at them, but the beauty of it is in the over-exaggerations and in the traced outlines of nature that we form – Uh, We do not analyze, you know, the intricacy uh, of the natural processes, but we form these outlines that are then transformed into monsters and uh, various different beings that we can use to communicate with each other. And my logo uh, displays a barn owl uh, spreading its wings and casting the shadows of Mothman and the Flatwoods monster which uh, are two cryptids from West Virginia that, you know, are theorized to have just been owls that people saw. But yet there's this mythology that has been present since the 50s and 60s and people still talking about these monstrous over-exaggerations of what was probably just an owl, and I think that's very beautiful. It, It even transcends the... Biological existence of the owl, you know, it it lived and died, it's biological life, but it still keeps living on in our storytelling.
1: You know, this next one is going to sound ridiculous now because you basically explained it. So how do you choose what topics you're going to talk about? And then uh, as a sidebar to that, how do you choose which guest? To feature to discuss these topics with? Okay, so
2: at the start, I was much more strict with my podcast. Uh, I thought, hey, I'm going to make every episode like 10, 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about a specific case and be in control of everything that I present. And I did only a few episodes of that. And then I started having guests. And then I started seeing that when you have guests, and when you talk about people with (laughs) with people about these very vague interpretive things and even, um, stumble upon people who have different interpretations than you, you can't really be in control, you know? So the more I did my podcast, the more I realized that I am not really in control of the topics that I have. It is the guest who is in control. And though I can be the person who wants to have Strictly, you know, his own podcast where I'm going to share my voice and my view of everything. Uh, I don't see my podcast, uh, the meaning of my podcast is that. My podcast is more of uh, just a reason to sit down with somebody and have a spiritual exchange. And I can't have a spiritual exchange with somebody if I want to trap them within my own, uh, you know, narrative and framework. So I end up having guests who I feel I can benefit from and who I feel can benefit from me. Uh, I don't want to do, you know, uh, an interview where I'm just asking the mundane questions these people are always asked and then, okay, bye-bye, that's that. I want them to come out of the conversation with something new and something to ponder over. Um, As you heard with Dr. Jack Hunter, like I got him to ponder a few times, even though he's a university professor and I'm just a nobody, (laughs) but it's all in the approach uh, you take uh, towards podcasting. It's the intention you have of why you are asking this person to guest on and what you intend to ask them. I don't intend to ask Dr. Hunter uh, things that he's been asked by every other paranormal podcast out there. You can go listen to all those podcasts. I intend to have a kind of stream of consciousness conversation with this person and kind of cross-pollinate ideas and concepts and interpretations.
1: Essentially, you are having a discussion just like you would in a normal situation, uh, just generally, as, you know, as the phrase goes, chit-chatting. And most of the time, with that sort of thing, with a with a y- general chat, you yes. don't know where that's going to go. I, I don't know where it is going to go, but I
2: am. Uh, the, the thing is, when you are chit chatting, you're just having fun. You know, you're trying to loosen up and have fun, and we refer to that as shit talking. You know, yeah. <laughs> joking around and stuff like that. But like I do chit chatting, and with the intent of opening up a stream of consciousness, where maybe my guests and myself find ourselves kind of outside the confines of what we intend the conversation to be and allow it to become what it needs to be, not what we want it to be. And to do that, you need to be very mindful You can't just say, oh, I'm just going to chit-chat and wherever it leads. You need to be mindful of uh, everything the guest says, everything that crosses your mind, uh, your internal reaction to hearing what the guest says, and then making the decision where you're going to move on with the discussion to bring it to some place that it needs to be. So there is a lot of kind of direction. I'm a director uh, of the conversation apart from just being the host. Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: I mean, that's, that's, that's a good thing. You know, it's in essence, I mean, I, I find it with my show that I'm opening myself up to finding out about new things and just discussing and keeping my mind open to alternatives. Essentially. That's what I'm doing with mine. And I'm guessing that you do the same to a degree with you, well, probably to a bigger degree than I do. <laughs> oh,
2: yes. And uh, maybe you know this, like when you're editing an episode, I, I edit where I like uh, cut out every breath and stuff, like I slice and dice everything because I want to create a stream of consciousness. Obviously, you know, somebody coughs, somebody sneezes. I, I say a joke that does not land. I need to cut that out to not uh, – <laughs> To not be, you know, a a stone in in the stream stream of consciousness where somebody will just stumble upon it and break their neck or something. So I want it to be streamlined. And when editing, I am constantly thinking about what did I just hear? What am I hearing now? And what am I going to hear? And how all of that flows together.
1: Yeah, I don't do anywhere near as much editing as I used to do.
2: And to be very frank, uh, why I do so much editing is because, as I said, I'm Bosnian and I'm not an English speaker. So obviously, you know, I I stumble in my uh, discussion and a lot of ums and stuff like that. But when I get to it and edit an episode, I see the editing process as kind of curating on a very mystical and magical level, uh, kind of like alchemy. I am taking a huge chunk of a conversation and creating something more refined out of it and uh, enabling to ha- enabling it to have some kind of flow state that has a hypnotic uh, effect on people listening to it.
1: You're creating gold from a rock.
2: Yes. <laughs> and I have noticed, like, however bad a discussion can get or a recording can be with editing. I can make something out of it. It's like, it's like the soul is there, the soul of the conversation and whatever you do technically with it, uh, you, you you're trying to allow it to convey the the soul or the spirit of the conversation. You're, you're making it more refined.
1: So anyway, this, this is going to be interesting. So, Within the space of over hundred and forty episodes, this is this is a very tiny little list. So you have got what is it? You've spoken about Blabber Jabber, tater squitch. You're going to pick me up on some of these because some yeah, of these are made are, up. By those yourself. are made
2: up ones that I created.
1: <laughs> the jackalope isn't, is it?
2: Oh no, but it is also a made up one.
1: <laughs> well. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I was going to carry on with the list. I mean, Sasquatch isn't, but is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, are you saying then that there's no such thing as the Humparoo?
2: Oh, no, the Humparoo is uh, a creation of myself and Cassie Marazon, an artist. So uh, to, to go into that, like I did a mini series of 10 little episodes with an artist, Cassie Marazon, where we had the idea, let, let me create – the name of an imaginary creature, kind of in uh, homage to the lumberjack uh, fearsome critter folklore. I create the name and I have a concept in my head what it is, but I give her just the names and then she creates art out of them and her own story of what this thing is. And then we discuss uh, the differences, like how she interpreted my name and what she got out of it and what was my set intention and then i go into various different tangents with her about how we can uh create a whole mythology out of this creature that she just made up
1: <laughs> but essentially that's what people are doing anyway dare i say it
2: yeah. um well we do it very unintentionally and we do it as a society, not as individuals. I mean, you you do have a lot of hoaxes and a lot of these tall tales, which uh, are essentially the origin is somebody around a campfire made up a creature and told their buddies about it. But then the story spreads. And with every person that retells the story, they add something onto it, they remove something, and then just mold this creature. This creature is like a Play-Doh that is molded throughout the centuries uh, by people's various different interpretations of it, but also by uh, the various roles it can fulfil in their lives.
1: I mean, um, okay. So I was I was going to carry on with that list, and now I'm not I'm, I'm not going to bother. Let, let's just yes. say I'm gonna I'm gonna use this now. This is my expletive warning. Uh, so, but you talk about all sorts of fuckery. Yes, and that's one of your <laughs> phrases.
2: Okay, so my my phrase, embrace the fuck upery is because I have been through a journey as a guy who has a biological background, and who worked as a biology teacher, and you, you you have this feeling that you need to stick with facts that you need to be very uh, mindful of what you say, and how you talk about these things. I've struggled a lot with how I want to do my podcast, how I want to present it, how I want to talk about these things, how much research should I do? And eventually you just realize, embrace the fuck because all of this is just absurd, weird nonsense that fulfills many roles for, for many different people. There is no yeah. right or wrong. And I mean, that's what attracts me to the world of the paranormal and the strange Because as somebody from the hard sciences background, you kind of get sick of that uh, pressure, that societal pressure of everything has to be meticulously documented and uh, defined within uh, the established self-imposed system of rules within science. And science itself is just a tool. It's not reality. It's not... Science is not... Uh, a reflection of reality but it is the best reflection we have and the most accurate one but there is so much out there that science cannot explore within its methodologies like art for example which which you know like can you think of somebody scientifically uh, talking about the appeal of star wars and wh- what what attracts people to various different star wars media you know uh, I yeah. always talk about language, like how can we scientifically prove language exists? Language is something that exists within an ether uh, between people who have the established tool set in their minds to understand the the symbology and the meaning of these uh, written down letters or uh Sounds that we make to construct words and sentences and whole stories and cultures and religions and so on. So, you know, all of that is outside of the framework of materialistic science. Uh, There's art, there's culture, there's uh, society. Um, So, I'm very interested in that aspect. And that's what attracts me to the paranormal because there is much more. Uh, Humanity is anthropology-oriented stuff there than uh, any physical material science.
1: Wow! Sorry, (laughs) lost for words after that. (laughs) But um, yeah, Um, I I mean, uh, language—the spoken word—it derives. Well, you know, there's there's people had to communicate with each other, and then so ways, were, ways were, were, were it's yeah languages were made in different countries, different languages, this that and the other. and I've said before about you know same goes with music where instruments have been created by by people all over the world and you find similarities in those, much as there similarities in different languages across the world. there's differences in music across the world, which is another form of communication anyway, yes. another form of speaking, but through that media instead um but all of it when you look at all these things and you know the, the mythology and this like the it all in essence stems from that same sort of place anyway of of people communicating these things that they see or they experience in life and they're coming up with ways to put that across
2: exactly so i don't want to dwell too much on it but one uh thing that i keep constantly bringing up on my show is this entity in tanzania uh yeah. the popobawa which is a spirit uh, a spirit that attacks people during sleep paralysis in their uh, dreams and sure. oftentimes attacks men per the folklore but this is This is more modern folklore, like this uh, thing uh, started uh, being a part of the culture in the 60s, and it was not talked about much until the 90s uh, due to uh, political turmoil and due to also Western uh, media uh, learning of this urban legend and then just plastering it all over the place without any cultural context of what it is. But what I, why I'm obsessed with it, and I interviewed the uh, linguistics professor who wrote the book on the Pokobawa, is that it is a small-scale example of how the paranormal uh, is used by humans in general, globally, only this is on small scale on, on a, a, an, the island of Pemba in Zanzibar in Tanzania. And people use this uh, demon, this spirit, to express many different things. So being gay there is, is uh, illegal, and you can go to jail if you openly talk about homosexuality. So gay people would use the Popobawa to communicate with each other, to uh, recognize each other, to tell jokes, oh, I was visited by the Popobawa. Um, men who cheat on their wives would say, oh, I was possessed by the Popobawa, because it's more culturally acceptable there. Women who had sexual encounters with entities or ghosts say they were attacked by the Popobawa because it's a Muslim conservative country, and women do not have uh, sexual uh, as many sexual human rights as men do. So, for women to express their sexuality more openly, they need to kind of use this supernatural entity as a middleman to talk about it indirectly. And so there are many various other roles, like people who are uh, religious figures, establish how uh, prominent of a religious figure they are by saying, "Oh, I exorcise so many popobawas out of people." So, just this one little demon has so many societal roles in this culture that is rooted in the Swahili language that they speak there. Uh, it is a custom there to talk indirectly, like it is considered rude if you directly address anything, so you need to beat around the bush and talk in euphemisms and metaphors, and uh, they use the supernatural a lot to talk about taboo issues, because the supernatural allows them to, in a safe way, kind of break these societal taboos without acknowledging them directly.
1: Much in the same way as poets like you know um, Wilfred Owen used to used to hide their you know sexual uh, uh, alignment through poetry. Yes. So um, which which is terrible. I mean the the, the dream thing you've you you've you've, uh, you've mentioned that before when you had Theresa Mayes
2: mm-hmm.
1: as well. You yeah. So,
2: so I had Teresa to talk about her experiences uh, as a person who has lucid dreams because she has perfected her practice of taking control of her dream and using it for creativity and learning. And that, that was a very monumental episode for me, because like we, we sat down with the intention to talk about dreams and went into this whole discussion about uh, Guyanism versus animism. Guyanism yep. is uh, the belief that we are all a part of an – overarching entity just like cells in the body only we are the cells of something greater which is you know mother earth or the planet as a whole while animism is you know the belief that everything out there including even trees and rocks and and the sun and planets all have personhood and are alive and have a soul or a spirit so the these are kind of superficially two mutually exclusive ways of thinking, but not necessarily because they can go hand in hand. And I was baffled by just learning how she, why she is more uh, attracted to the idea of animism rather than Guyanism as a woman. Because however much I want to, as a, you know, cis white male, think that I understand and have female guests on the show to explore these topics and to give them a voice to talk about these topics. There are still things that, uh, because of my gender and my sex, I can't understand. Uh, Societal pressures which lead people to uh, gravitate towards a certain way of thinking about the world which is equally as valid, because it fulfills the role in their life of, oh, this is my place in the universe.
1: Yet another human construct, there, you know. You know, this is what a female is like, this is what a male is like, and, mm-hmm. and exactly. Thankfully, thankfully, nowadays, all of that's being thrown out of the way. People are who they are, they are not determined by the gender or anything like that. They are those people, and it, and, it,
2: and to be very frank, like it's people are not determined by their gender, but rather of society's treatment of their gender like when you go into these topics you realize just how much our uh, ecology and not just the natural ecology but social ecology affects us and molds us into individuals and why we have all of these biases why somebody gravitates towards angels and another person would gravitate towards aliens it's just two different sides of the same coin and two different expressions of what it is to be a human that are the result of uh, growing up in two various different uh, social and historical contexts.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. So... um... I mean th- this next bit I'm going to do twofold as well I mean I, I feel bad now because you were talking about you know the question answer and question and answer thing and, they're, they're <laughs> and the question answer thing um but it's it's all part of how the how the, the show works to a degree, but like we were saying beforehand you know I have the this sort of like thing that I follow, but I find the most interesting part of this show is when i det- when we go away from this and so. I think you've noticed it where people will suddenly, guests will mention things in my show and Mm -hmm. I'll leave the structure of the show alone for a while while I try and delve into that that they brought up and try and find out what it is that makes these people tick.
2: I mean, isn't that just the the most base reason why you even do your podcast? You always talk about how you're interested in, Why people, uh, what people can use podcasts for, uh, why they want to talk, why they want to express their opinions, various different types of digital media which allow us the capabilities to be heard and share our voices. So I don't find it at all uh, surprising that you would eventually realize that. you know, adhering to a structure does not work when talking about such topics because these topics are very liberating and they go against any form of structure. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, I realized that pretty quickly when having guests on, when realizing what I assumed about the topic or the guest is completely wrong, uh, when realizing that the guest bringing up a tangent can lead to a much better episode than anything I could have thought of myself. So over time, I just realized I'm going to sit down and talk with people. I I mean, I have a vague idea and understanding what I intend to talk about, but very often that just does not happen, (laughs) and it leads to a much better episode. I've, I've learned that the podcasts that I do, both of them, become entities for themselves. And I'm just some kind of curator or something, but they they get a life of their own. And it's just like this whole uh, flower unraveling beyond my control.
1: Yeah, essentially you are the conduit through which uh, something comes out that you, until it, uh, until it emerges, you don't actually know what it is that's going to emerge.
2: Exactly, and that—that's why I like to talk about the idea, especially with Todd Purse, uh, my closest collaborator the past year. I love year. Todd. Yeah, and who you had on on your show with an amazing episode. Um, I like to talk with him about channeling creativity, especially because he is an artist, and he, as a, an artist of the weird, knows very well that very often he will, you know, intend his art to look a certain way, but in the end, it comes out completely different and he has no idea where it came from. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: What sort of research do you do, do up to it? Because, I mean, I find it fascinating, for instance, I mean, this is why I've put this put this one in my notes, is the develop, the way that I've worded it, developing and choosing your library. Because you have a fascinating library of, of books, physically and digitally, that you... I, 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 it's almost like... It's probably not real, but I have this imagined, uh, perceived, uh, or, or this perception of you just being there, stuck in your stuck in your books, constantly looking and going, "Oh, and finding new things to 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 get your to get your creativity flowing." Okay, so
2: I love that question. I saw it in in the papers that you sent me, <laughs> and I was just yeah. waiting for that because. Maybe I will disappoint you or something, but I love how you say it is my vision of you. Uh, okay. I, I find that beautiful. Um, it, it, it is also my vision of what the perfect me would be. But in reality, I don't read a lot at all. Um, okay. And I, I do have some physical books, but because I live in Bosnia, like it would take cost me a fortune to get physical books from America and stuff like that. So I have a lot of digital books. Um, I've learned through this process, that the best source of information are people, not books. And this is coming from a former biology teacher. And even as a teacher, I was teaching my students, the smartest person is not the person who has the most knowledge in their head, but the person who knows where to look for that knowledge. So the person who knows uh, their sources of information or who they can ask for information. So I don't rely on books as much as I rely on people, because books are kind of a more a- academic way of you know expressing facts and this and that. But when you sit down and talk with somebody about the same thing that they wrote in the book, you get these little uh, tidbits that point towards their own perceptions and biases on what, what they uh, wrote. And that gi- gives you a more full picture of where this person is coming from. And not just you know the person, but society as a whole because I see all of us as extensions of an overarching whole. We are all just individual expressions of an overarching
1: humanity. Okay, we are going to go down a, a, a path now that I'm intrigued by and I'll just uh, pre- preface this with, uh, I'll, I'll just say that, you know, if, if you want this bit taken out, we're just going down, down a path here that I'm, I'm oh, intrigued by.
2: leave okay. everything in, man. <laughs> okay. so- I, had, I had like uh, on my show experiencers of high strangeness and alien abductions and stuff. And like I have a three hour unedited episode with one of them. Everything we went through is just in there and I didn't want to touch it at all.
1: Okay, because cause, cause as opposed to going into the strange and weird and the paranormal and UFOs and that, I'm, I'm going into I'm going into um, psychology here mm-hmm. essentially. So, I, I see, I see it as a constant evol, a constant evolution, in a sense where. So, if we're pulling away the curtain, so you used to teach biology at school, and there was a certain thing about that where it was almost like the humdrum of this is how you have to teach this, that and the other, and yeah. you had to follow a specific rigid thing. And that that could be stifling in a way, and you wanted to almost like pull out of that. And from the experience of being being in these schools teaching and you changing your teaching method to make it more interesting to kids or to those people you were teaching, it, it evolved, and that's how Darwin's Deviations came about, essentially. I mean, you know, yeah. there's more to it than that, but... And then you did the Darwin's deviations. And then when you when you got, I'm guessing, towards the, the end of Darwin's deviations, you were you were then already evolving and wanting something a bit different from there. And that's how you evolved into in how you mm-hmm. developed tracing owls. And then over the period of tracing owls, over that time, you can see a development there where, like you said, it started at this era where essentially. At the beginning of Tracing Owls, there was sort of a similarity to, to Darwin's Deviations in a way where it's basically talking about these things and giving the information, in a sense, but without the uh, without the um, Monty Python esque uh, yeah. <laughs> aspects of Darwin's Deviations, which I always loved. Uh, but and then it's evolved into that, and it shows you, in essence you can see how you as a person internally have changed through that transition or those transitions in those different periods in those shows and in your, you know, life that way.
2: Yeah. So, oh man, there, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm sorry. Okay.
1: (laughs) I had to go there.
2: I mean, for, for the people who did not listen to my prior um, interview and I'd rather they don't because I was such an asshole to you. (laughs) Uh, because I was playing a character. But yeah, my first show, Darwin's Deviations, is like uh, South Park meets Magic School Bus. Like yep. you said now, oh, my teaching methods led to Darwin's Deviations. Uh, they did, but that's just an o- underlying uh, subtle thread. Uh, yep. Superficially, Darwin's Deviations is, you know, a lot of toilet humor and making fun about animals and stuff like that. Um, but I insert a lot of philosophy Uh, under uh, uh, this dark seedy uh, underbelly of of fart jokes, you know? I did that very (laughs) intently. I wanted to make an anti-podcast because I was so sick and tired of listening to podcasts where people go into podcasting trying to, already from the get-go, establish a show that they can make marketable, that they can eventually make money off of and get popular and whatnot. And I... I want none of that. I just wanted to do whatever I want to do and um, not worry about that stuff. So I made it very obvious from the get-go that I am never going to be monetized or marketable in any way. And if anybody thinks that I can, I'm just going to do stuff intentionally that makes that impossible. (laughs) Now, the, the, the old podcast, I don't know how aware you are of this, but it led to me having uh, prophetic dreams that led to an actual death in my family.
0: Yeah.
2: And the more I ponder about that, the more I realize what I was doing with Darwin's deviations is sort of a hyper-sigil kind of thing. I don't know how much you are aware of that, but it's essentially chaos magic. It's a creative... Imbuing, incorporating themselves within a narrative of their creative work and seeing weird stuff happen in their life as their fictional character is going through weird things in the narrative.
1: Um, A lot of,
2: there are a lot of comic book artists who, you know, had this happen to them.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Um...
2: So that was a very weird experience. That's the sole reason I stopped doing Darwin's Deviations, because it spooked me. I feel it's a very cursed show now. It has a lot of these things uh, happening throughout the episodes that later happened in my real life. I played with dreams in the episodes. I ended up having weird dreams, and then I ended up having prophetic dreams, um, which I still sometimes do, and I've had them all my life but I don't attribute anything paranormal to that I just think that it is maybe intuition or something like that but you get yourself into this creative state where you're playing with tens of characters you are voicing yourself who are manifestations of different parts of your own psyche and you start thinking like them and you start seeing reflections of your real life and what you are doing with them in the show and it gets very freaky <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Mm. I'm, I'm glad I went down that, that line now, but I, I, I had to go there because I was just found myself intrigued yes. by 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 that.
2: Well, I mean, it's very apparent that from the first day I started podcasting, I have not been making normal podcasts at all. I have been doing something very hyper-sigil like uh, incorporating myself uh very subtly into these shows in a way that it impacts my life and even people who listen to my show and get inspired. So I kind of continued that with Tracing Owls because I I wanted to do a a proper podcast and nothing was working. (laughs) And and the moment I stopped uh, thinking of what I want and started uh, allowing this other show to become an entity for itself... Um, and unpacking it at its own pace and uh, just off a whim and off of gut instincts, uh, getting guests on and talking about certain topics without any kind of plan, uh, I made some of the best content I'll ever make in my life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I apologize for the laugh that uh, there. Oh, uh, no, that was the, me. this no.
2: is very funny. Like, all, another thing about the paranormal that attracts me is the absurdity of it. Things yeah. happen in such absurd ways that you're left to just laugh at yourself and know that nobody will ever believe you <laughs> because it's so stupid. Um, th- there are, uh, this is why I like hoaxers um, and In the paranormal field, people hate hoaxing because, oh, how dare somebody, you know, hoax a Bigfoot and then uh, ruin the credibility of our field where we want Bigfoot to be real. And I I see that as very – I see hoaxing as a creative expression. There's uh, in Cornwall in the UK this uh, self-proclaimed magician who is also a psychedelic artist – who, uh, who is named, uh, Doc Shields. And he has been, um, trying to conjure the Loch Ness monster (laughs) for decades, um, before, like he's very old now. And he took one of the most famous Nessie photos. It's the one with the blue water with its head sticking out and Nessie smiling. The Shields photo. Um, he claims that he was hoaxing photos of Nessie and then actual Nessie appeared. And of course, nobody believes him. Of course, he is known as a liar and a hoaxster. But yet the, the guy believes that this happened. And you can't help but wonder that these things happen in such absurd fashion that he, and you are left with a, a weird occurrence and a story, but nobody will ever believe you. And there are a lot of stories like that. There, there was Joe Simonton in the 60s in Wisconsin, a chicken farmer. Uh, he was he saw a UFO outside of his uh, house and went to it and saw Italian-like aliens uh, cooking pancakes. They gave him an empty jug so he could fill it with water. He gave them the water, and they gave, gave him three pancakes. And the guy yeah. was left with physical pancakes that were examined by the U.S. military. <laughs> But nobody believes him, and he became a laughingstock because of that.
1: You, you see, you, you mentioned that Loch Ness Monster there, and I'm, I'm about to say something, you know, I'm going, I'm going to probably get some emails from people here, you know, poslikers at gmail.com if you want to send them. uh But, you know, uh, the Loch Ness Monster thing, why would that be such a strange and, to some people, impossibility? When you think about the history of animals, why would, why would, I mean, not, you know, not calling it the Loch Ness Monster, why would that, you know, almost dinosaur style creature underwater not exist? Well, I mean,
2: uh, even in its dinosaur interpretation, it's very silly. So it's supposed to be a plesiosaur, which is not even a dinosaur. But nevertheless, a plesiosaur is did not have their necks bent that way, like okay. a horse, like okay. we see with the Loch Ness monster. So even when people say they see the plesiosaur-like interpretation of the Loch Ness monster it still does not have a biological credibility to it because it does not match what plesiosaurs actually were. Their necks went straight, uh, straight forward and they could just move it left or right, not upwards. Um, And then there are these theories, oh, maybe it's a ghost of a plesiosaur or something like that. I see it as a symbol. I see it as a living symbol that uh, fulfills many different roles for many different people.
1: I'm Um, glad we're not doing video. I've just got red face now because of that. Um,
2: Oh, no worries. I mean, that's what what (laughs) keeps the legend alive. Like, people love dinosaurs. People love the idea that dinosaurs could be alive today. And that just keeps this myth alive. It's beautiful, even though it's not uh, accurate to what nature truly is. But we're not talking about natural things. We're not talking no. about a natural creature. Maybe it's a sturgeon, you know, that people are seeing. Um, but we are talking Bloody about a symbol, a meme. Yeah, that's right. It's
1: just yeah. It's just, so um, you know, you know, I'm going to have to have to, have to write. T- turn the turn the turn it around, Martin. So I mean, you've you've already mentioned some of the standout moments that you've had in the show. So I'm I'm trying to recatch myself now while I uh, while I dive. Okay, w-
2: while you recatch, I I want to talk about Bigfoot a bit because this is okay. something that I, I felt I wanted to share on a podcast. And okay. when we're talking about memes and symbols, like think about it, um, you look at the. silhouette of a Bigfoot from the Patterson-Gimlin footage. And though you're not from, you know, this field and you probably don't know anything about Bigfoot, you see that and you know it's a Bigfoot. Is that correct? Uh,
1: uh, Yes. Yes. Okay.
2: And you show a child that silhouette of Bigfoot, you know, walking in, in, um, on the side. And the child also knows it's a Bigfoot, but the child does not know anything about the history of the cases and the Patterson-Gimlin footage and whatever. So obviously it's a meme, it's a symbol that exists in the pop culture now. And I like to think of Bigfoot not as a flesh and blood creature out there, but as a symbol that we invoke in, in certain circumstances when we need that symbol invoked to show us something. I have a friend who had a Bigfoot experience, and we were talking about this uh, a few weeks back. He does not believe technically that it was purely physical. He thinks maybe it was a bit spiritual even. And we went into this whole discussion of how he grew up in uh, West Virginia, and how this sighting of the Bigfoot coincided with the worst period of his life when uh, West Virginia was in uh, economic depression. And if you look at folklore and history, a lot of cultures have had wild men stories, not necessarily Bigfoot and not necessarily American. All across the world, people have seen wild men in the forests and been amazed by it. And I can't help but think maybe Bigfoot is kind of a symbol of our need to uh, break away from... The contemporary society we are in. Like economic depression in West Virginia, you need to go to work to make money so you can barely (laughs) survive and live this miserable existence. But then something happens that invokes the symbol of Bigfoot in the forest that symbolizes to you this desire to just Let it all go and take your clothes off and go live in the wilds, you know, completely rogue and free from the capitalistic system that's slowly draining away at your life. Um, And it is just miraculous when you think about it that way. And when you think of all the people, especially in rural areas around America who claim to have seen Bigfoot, who live in these kinds of, you know, societal and cultural circumstances – um, just what this can symbolize to them, and it's not important whether this thing is real or not, or whether it's a bear that they mistook for Bigfoot, but rather how it affects them, how it propels them uh, down the line to change.
1: But I mean, I mean, Bigfoot—that that brings you know—that brings up uh, something else where. It's another one of those cases where you've got bigfoot uh the sasquatch uh, abominable snowman um um you know the 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 list goes on where there's variations of a similar thing mm-hmm. all over the world but called different things and they they're almost same versions of the things which is you know that's something that intrigues me as well another case where where that happens.
2: I mean, even there are people who say that there is a bigfoot in the u k even though the u k does not have the ecological uh factors that are necessary for bigfoot to to even survive as a you know creature but that that's what points towards it being something cultural, not biological. like think about it what what is more um believable? That there are 50 different species of hairy ape men all around the world, yet we have never found any single one of them. Or that there is something ingrained into the minds of all humans on Earth, just as pyramids or just as various different instruments, as you said, uh, that express themselves in various different ways depending on the culture where they're expressed yeah,
1: yeah yeah just just don't go chasing after families named Henderson to try and to try and find the real one okay <laughs>
2: and and that that's also a whole topic in itself how Harry and the Hendersons kinda revitalize interest into Bigfoot um and a lot of people I have talked to about Bigfoot on the show say how that movie uh you know is a childhood staple for them or close encounters of the third kind. Uh, and speaking of that, you know, the ending scene where they're using music to communicate with the aliens. Yep. So, you know, if, if something is an alien from another planet where even like gravity is completely different than here and uh, uh, all of these other factors which lead to the evolution of life. You you have to think, like, if an alien comes to Earth and we show it music, we play music for it, can it even hear our music or perceive it? Because its auditory organs are adapted to something completely different than what we have here on Earth, <laughs> you know? So maybe we can't communicate with real aliens via music, but there's this idea from that movie that resonates with people because the aliens we are talking about are not aliens, but are us, you know, they even look like us. They are projections of what we could be somewhere out there. If we are more technologically advanced and what would unify us all together. And, uh, it's just the story of what unifies people. It's about people communicating with other people through music, but, yeah say labeling it as aliens so it's more you know acceptable and interesting
1: yeah but there's a history of science fiction using uh, being used to uh, to communicate different things anyway such as you know uh, problems in the world etc style Star- i mean Star well, yeah,
2: Trek. it's it's like d- depending on it's like various different flavors of ice cream you know people want their uh, narrative settings Um, Somebody is into fantasy, somebody is into horror, somebody is into sci-fi, and yet all of these different settings are playing with the same symbols and archetypes and meanings and uh, expressions about humanity, but uh, in various different flavors and masks that make it, I I don't know, they make it more palatable to the person who is interested in that setting.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, other beings potentially communicating via music is along similar lines to, you know, uh, you've got ancient civilizations who communicated through pictures, use it, and they were basically a word form in a pictural form,
0: mm-hmm. which,
1: you know, developed into, and then you've got something similar with, you know, uh, Chinese and Japanese with their, with their writings is very much similar to like, you know, Sanskrit and variations thereof um so i mean it's not out of the realm of possibility that people would use music but you're right if people if people came from you know this is conjecture of course you know mm-hmm. but if people came from another planet you- you're right so the in- the inherent differences in their atmosphere and how that planet is how far it is away from the sun would would change how that planet is as a place to live on and then p- p- if people or any beings lived on that planet their whole physical self and internal and everything would be would be different to how it is here that that is just a thing that conjecturally would be would be so that they would understand differently they communicate differently and everything would be different in so many ways because of the circumstances of how they would be, um, like I said, where they are in connection to in the universe.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, throughout history, you know, various cultures communicated with music because uh, people did not understand each other's languages, but music is kind of universal. So it was another form of communication to bypass the limitations of the intricacies of their languages, you know, Um, And there was always this uh, motif of communicating with the other. And back in those days, the other was another tribe or another culture, you know, or, or another race. But now that we are more globalized, we still have this even biologically inclined need to perceive something as an other. And when we are no longer perceiving other people as an other because we are all in constant communication nowadays, and we all see each other as each other. We project this uh, desire for another up into the stars. <laughs> we, we have this need to play music for another, but we no longer have another on our planet because we are familiar with ourselves.
1: I do like this evolved vogue, I will say. <laughs> but i mean the, the the episodes of tracing owls that i've listened to i mean uh the the, the 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 little bit of a laugh earlier on was you saying you know about you know uh, comparing it to you wanted to do a show that was a bit more podcasty you know like other podcasts this, that, and the other yeah. uh, and the giggle there was the fact that it sort of is but it isn't because Inherently, with it being you, there's a certain flavour to the show that gives it that difference. It's it's along lines where you know I'm getting all you know into the weeds here and that, but it's like I've said to people before about shows where uh, when you've got podcasts that are listened by so many people, there's a certain thing about the commerciality of that that. You lose the um, when you're listening to it. It's it's like it's background in essence, and it's just yeah, going you on you in the background. You lose the personal and,
2: en- engagement with it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. I've said that it's the shows that I mean, essentially, if, if the shows that are more interesting, the ones where you've got personality there and someone that is different, uh, or a th- there's a certain thing about the the show that has their, that that niche to it that grabs people in but, and but you know, said, i think you know what I else shows is. are more interesting to people
2: you, you know what else it is and i've learned this as a teacher you need to challenge people and burst their bubble um yep. for them to even notice what you're saying and then listen in and then ponder over what you're saying because let's say if you tell somebody something that they don't like to hear they're yeah. going to listen to what you have to say so they can prepare a counter argument. <laughs> yeah. And I know my show may be very off putting to uh, mass audiences because yeah. it is very telling you stuff that you don't want to hear, but maybe need to hear or bursting your bubble or talking about things the way that you don't necessarily expect Yep. You know, I, I talk about UFOs, but I don't talk about UFOs as being aliens. <laughs> I talk them as be, uh, about them as being symbols in the sky that we react to so we may be changed, so we may um, think about our role in nature and the cosmos and stuff like that. Um, people would rather it just be aliens because that's cool. And they want, yep. <laughs> throughout history, there is this motif of salvation, we see it in religion. You know, uh, Christ will come back and descend from the skies and save us all from ourselves. And that's kind of what we're doing now with aliens as well. Um, people want that. They don't want to think about the implications uh, on them, on their society, on their their culture, and what their uh, love for the idea of an alien can tell about what they're not acknowledging about themselves. So, I mean... My show is not huge. I have a much bigger following than I ever anticipated, but it's the following that needs to be there, like yep. people who are not who are not supposed to listen to my show won't listen to it. The ones who do are the ones that uh, make it worth uh, creating because these are people uh, with whom my words
1: resonate with, you know? Yeah. But then you, uh, yeah, you know, we're, go- we're going in, but I'm, I'm picking up on something there again and I'm going back into it again. The, the, the religion thing. I mean, that's why uh, I'm I'm attracted to the science fiction element is because, you know, it it, it reminds me of the, um, the, the, the Star Trek thing where they used to call them space aliens, essentially. And they were saying that gods are, Gods were perceived this way on planets like this. Where in essence, it was you know aliens coming to that planet, and essentially making themselves seem like gods in a way. And I don't know why I've come into that. I mean, you know, you know, well, damn well. That I, I I'm, a, I'm a big know, science fiction person.
2: I definitely know why you came into that, and it's something that I hear a lot talking with people on these topics. This we are all weirdos. Like yep. if we're talking about this stuff and even sci-fi, we're weirdos and we're nerds and geeks. Yep. <laughs> we yep. do not have a very, um, uh, very happy childhoods. And we always felt like an other. So Reza, uh, we uh, relate more with the idea of an alien because the alien is an other that is out there and much more powerful than us puny humans and our own uh, ideas of what gods are and stuff like that. So I do understand that. And that's something we see in the paranormal world, even when you take these old timey uh, authors and analyze their books and read just the way they perceive these things. So I did an episode with Fred Anderson, uh, who is a Swedish TV producer of a very popular uh, Scandinavian ghost hunting show. And I had him on my show because uh, we were going to discuss a book that was written by a ufologist named Gray Barker uh, in the fifties. Yeah, They knew too much about flying saucers and Gray Barker was a closeted gay man in West Virginia back in the day. And he died of AIDS in the eighties he never came out of the closet. Um, so this was kind of a secret that his uh, circle of friends knew about, but the public was not aware of, especially the ufology circle. And when you will analyze his writing in the book, you see a lot of these motifs of him perceiving himself as an other, especially when writing about the Flatwoods monster um, and kind of, comparing himself to the monster you get this feeling that he saw himself as the monster and throughout the course of my show i've kind of realized because the flatwoods monster if you look at pictures of it it's very campy and kooky it was a creature in the 50s seen by a group of kids after a a meteor fell in in a forest And it had a spade-like head, and it was 10 feet tall, and it had a dress, a green dress. And it's very androgynous, you know. I have this theory that maybe the Flatwoods Monster is kind of a gay empowerment symbol or a drag queen, you know, a sci-fi drag queen. Because the way people got into the paranormal around our generations they were exposed to the story of this monster and saw what this monster looked like and thought, wow, what is this freaky thing? An other, just like me, I'm the other. Um, and, and empowering 10 foot tall symbol of otherness that it's okay to be weird. Um, funnily enough, you, you know, Christina, the question here, I had an episode with her yep. where, where she talks just about that. Um the first time she ever started thinking about these weird things was when she saw a picture of the Flatwoods Monster on the back of a weekly world news. And that changed her life forever.
1: So I'm looking up that episode now for my notes on that episode that you did with, uh, with Fred, because that's, that's one that I, uh, that I listened to and took extensive notes of. And now yeah. I'm going back well into... Because for anyone interested, that was uh, 19th of December, 2022, that was released. And I apparently listened to it on the 7th of February. Took me a while, didn't it? I had another
2: Um, episode with Fred um, where he talks about high strangeness in Sweden. Um, And in both those episodes, like he is a TV producer... um, and talks about, you know, ghosts with people. So they go out to film um, an episode at a haunted location and talk with the people there. On on camera, people talk about ghosts. But when the cameras are turned off, they then say, oh, I saw uh, a troll or a gnome. And then they go into, oh, I saw lights in the sky, and so on and so on. Like the ghost in this case, and I mean, it's tied to the Swedish culture, but the ghost is more acceptable as a supernatural thing than aliens or gnomes and trolls and, you know, high strangeness. So it's like the ghost is a linguistic gateway to allow people to test the waters. And if they establish, uh uh-huh, it's safe to talk about this stuff, then they move on from ghosts to more weird things that they um, experienced. And by the end, you learn, like they could care less about the ghosts because there's much more weirdness to it.
1: Yeah. Thank, thank you for giving me some time there. Yep, yeah, what is it I wrote? Uh, Vuk is joined by paranormal TV producer Fred Anderson, that should be two S's, Marv, not one, to talk about the writings of author Grey Barker and how it was used to express himself as a gay man, uh, as you said, who, who never came out. Uh, the documentary about him called Shades of Grey and you mentioned the film green book
2: mm-hmm. it it reminded me of green book did you watch green book
1: no i've there? not seen green book yet no
2: in green book so uh, there's this black jazz musician that's uh, paying his friend to um drive him through a, a tour of performances through the south where everybody is racist you know so it, it deals a lot with racism and stuff like that but in the movie, you realize this character is also closeted and gay, and he gets um, jailed because of that. So the whole discussion we had uh, reminded me of this because Gray Barker alludes in his book about being out on a highway, uh, looking up at the stars for UFOs and whatnot, and then uh, getting arrested for that and then sent to a psychologist. And I can't help but wonder maybe you know somebody caught him. Because I think there are, uh, there that it is documented that he was arrested for being found with a man, but the way he expresses this in the fifties in a very conservative culture is by writing in his book about how he was out looking for UFOs.
1: But I mean, you, you mentioned in the episode about. I mean, it, it brought to mind in the episode where you were you were discussing that. About uh, about the police potentially ca- catching him, you mentioned in passing about this this awful thing where th- th- there is this thing with entrapment for, for people to try and catch them out, so mm-hmm. to speak. And and what one one phrase that you came out with that I highlighted in my notes uh, because I thought it was was absolutely perfect was and and here's the quote from from you, which was, "What type of world do we live in?" where it is easier to talk about aliens than it is to talk about homosexuality.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: And that, that just, that jumped out at me. And I thought you you were so right with that. It's there's something so wrong about that.
2: And I mean, that, that's the story of ufology the last 70 years or so. We keep talking about UFOs and aliens, but, are um, just using it to uh, talk about different things that we don't want to acknowledge about ourselves. I mean the U- UAP nonsense now going on in America since the, since twenty seventeen, and even a few days ago there was a UFO congressional hearing. I, I see that as kind of us using UFOs to indirectly talk about these political issues that we're
1: facing the last decade. But, I mean, the, the fact is that your show covers such a wealth of, I mean, f- from from the outside, before people go into it, y- y- your show could look one way, but that's the people that aren't opening their minds to it. Uh, whereas there's so much in there. So you'll go from something like that, which is which touches on one thing that is so poignant, and then you'll go to that incredible discussion group that you had with, with, you know, Jonathan Easton and Todd about AI, which, I mean, catches me because I had a fantastic chat about it with people the other day myself.
2: (laughs) And I love Uh, how that episode kind of influenced you to do your own roundtable about AI.
1: (laughs) Yes, it did, I suppose. because It's been on my mind ever since that roundtable that you did. It's been in the back of my mind anyway, and I've been trying to push that anyway because I've been discussing it with Todd, and unfortunately... Todd wasn't available when I recorded that episode because Todd was supposed to be one of the, in, in essence, I was hoping for Todd to be a co-host in a sense, Yeah, yeah. Uh, if I'm being honest. Uh, but that never came to be. But there's something about that. And, you know, so you touch on these important subjects. That's where I'm going to with that. But I will say that much like that conversation that you had there was the round table, the one that I did the other day on that subject all the points that I'd put on my notes were thrown by the wayside and it became something, com- it became a completely different beast of a show. Yeah. <laughs> which was more interesting in a sense. Exactly, man. <laughs> I, I just find it
2: fascinating how, I mean, I'll, I know a lot of people make podcasts so they can hang out with friends and have, these discussions, as as we said, shit talk, and maybe make money in the process um, and create a business. But like, this is a tool, podcasting is a tool that allows us to do so much more with it. Yep. Like, I never would have uh, even gone into discussions about these intricate things and kind of opened up my mind to these philosophical thoughts, if not for Podcasting, and I'm just a dude in Bosnia, which is a war-torn country. You know, yeah. Who the heck in Bosnia um, gets the the capability, the the chance to talk about these things with university professors in Britain and the U.S.? So it's just miraculous uh, what podcasting allows us, but sadly, not many people utilize uh, the capabilities of this medium because of the uh, initial. Feeling that they need to go to it with the intent of eventually being marketable or um, popular or successful. I don't like the word successful or success because I see the derailment of the conversation into something completely different and unplanned as success, as something that needs to be, not something I want, but something that needed, needed to be. And there is no other option. There is no parallel universe where I made uh, the perfect episodes per my intention of what it should be. (laughs) There's only the now and there is only what we created as two people sharing a spiritual exchange.
1: Well, if I wanted to make a show that was, uh, as another way to put it, sellable, if I wanted to do a show like that, uh, and make my show that I wouldn't have the long form it would basically be uh, somewhere between five and 15 minutes long uh, give you the give you the everything like you know give you the basics basically you know well, this is what the show is about chat with the people and get the basics you know like how do you do the show what's the show about how often does it go out what about your logo what about your music cue the music for the end job done because you know that would grab the audience because it's quick because uh, people, you know, the, the, the general populace.
2: Okay, but uh, but let me ask yeah. you, so if you were to do a podcast like that, why are you doing it? Why are you taking a moment from your very busy, hard life to sit down with a stranger and
1: create this? You see, I find this more interesting in the long form because it's a discussion and getting into the subject. So, in essence, the, uh, we're catching those little little bits of people across the world because you've got to remember that podcast is, a, is international. It's not the yes. local radio station or even the BBC or this, that, and the other. It's none of that. It's catching people across the world. So you'll get a few people catching butterflies in a net. <laughs> yeah, but on a worldwide thing. So if you were only available to the local radio station and you only got two listeners, in that radio station, in that region, which you might get with a podcast, if you're only getting one or two people with that, they'd fire you in a radio station because it's non-commercial. But, but that, that's why podcasts are such a big thing
2: now because it bypasses the need for people to be marketable yes. uh, and to have a boss who will tell them how they should produce content. But if we are already if we have the capability to liberate ourselves from that confine, why do we still self-impose these rules back onto ourselves?
1: I mean, I was, I was getting to the point that I, so I could do it that way. The really quick short yeah. form but basics, this, that, and the other, but I do the, the long conversation because I think inherently, I think I'd find that boring to do. That short you know like this 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 done and i've I, I've used it as a way I mean I think I mean I think this show essentially I've evolved around my show in a way where I've opened up so this is where I was getting to I've opened myself up to listening to other things outside of what because that's the thing where some people will go to shows about what they're comfortable with. And that's the thing where, to me, I see podcast as a way of developing yourself and opening your mind up to newer things and changing, not necessarily who you are as a person in, in a certain way, but you're making yourself more knowledgeable to a degree or more open to listening to other things and to developing that more which is what this, what my show inherently is about, or it's grown to be. It's that it's me, in a sense, being very selfish and wanting to know what it is about them and what they are interested in, and what I can gain from their interest and get from them. You know, Marv,
2: like how how long have we known each other online? Like three years now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And,
2: and it is now that I realize for the first time what the commonality is between me, myself and you. Okay. Um, because I approach the paranormal the same way I listen to people talk about the weird because I see talking about the weird as a way uh, of expressing things about themselves and about society as a whole. And you're kind of approaching the same way uh, podcasting. You allow people yeah. to talk about their podcasts, but via the way they talk about their shows, you learn a lot about themselves, uh, more than you'd learn about their show.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
2: It's just yeah. our, and we are kind of selfish in that. We both want to learn how people tick because we had these difficult childhoods where we felt like another other. And we want yeah. to connect with people. And the only way we can connect is by trying to understand what makes people connect.
1: You know, taking that to the next level now uh, or, or carrying that on, essentially, you, you are right. So uh, childhood was not easy. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much detail on that. So in a way... Uh, I looked for escapism in media, yeah. so I would watch the science fiction. I'd watch the Star Treks. I'd watch, you know, uh, I'm 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 older than you, so I've got the Battlestar Galactica's, the Book Rogers, and it's escapism to escape the harsh reality of what was going on around in a broken, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a divorced family. Uh, with children who are split from each other, one lives with one parent, one you know, two live with yeah. one parent. I lived with another, and then you know, they those parents get married to other people, and there's difficulties that come from there, and then yeah. uh, sexually abused at school and things like that. And you use these things, and I mean, that's why I came up with stories uh, as a kid. And I lived in a when I, when I was playing out on playgrounds, I'd be developing an unreal character to hide that there and and it's almost using media this with podcast is almost like using media to try and discover who i am in essence i'm almost doing the same thing as i used media back then with television and film i'm almost using it in the same way really to develop who i am really
2: and you can cut this if you're uncomfortable but Like back then, you said you were using media to convey a different you, um, who is still you, but something other. Is this like a way of creating a proxy? Like if people want to criticize or hurt you, they're not hurting you directly, but hurting the fake persona you're creating.
1: Um. I think that might have been more possible towards the beginning, if we're being mm-hmm. honest. And it's much like you were saying. I I feel, I've actually felt that this year, since probably around March, maybe April, this show took a took a, it moved. And I changed in a sense as well, looking back on it. I can see how it's more me now as opposed to, I mean, it was always the long form show, but there was almost like a Marv. And the thing is, I, I've, I've grown to like that name now, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with it. But, um, you, see, but, but you see, like no. we
2: started with you talking about the evolution of my show um, and the evolution of myself, but like... What what you see in my show, you're projecting from yourself. We're also talking about the evolution of you. When you say like maybe that uh, that was the reason in early childhood and then you changed, you creating this fake persona via media uh, gave you a tool set to interact with the world in a very creative, very different way than other people. And that evolved and that led you to become a musician and an artist and now... Uh, led us to, you know, discussing this right now. <laughs> so it's very wonderful um, how just and in the world of the paranormal, a lot of people go into the paranormal due to trauma. Um, as we said, you and I before recording, a lot of people in the paranormal have uh, religious trauma, yep. and because people are brought up in strict religious households. They have been molded in very critical periods of their lives, early childhood, you know, where when your uh, nervous system is forming, you're formed already as a person with that something religious that non religious people like myself don't have and can't understand. And when you liberate yourself from the oppressive religion that you grew up in, you still have that something. And a lot of people go into the cryptid and paranormal and UFO worlds to fill out that something in a very safe way because it is not eternal damnation and abuse like with religion, but it's, as you say, escapism with aliens in outer space.
1: But it's, I mean, it has helped me a lot to be able to you know, there's that phrase in the coming out of the shell. Yeah. Um, but it, it's helped in a lot of ways there because I find now when I'm at work and I'll talk to colleagues at work or I'll talk to friends or to family, I find that I'm it's easier to talk to people because it, it, it'll probably start with a thing like, Oh, you know, in a podcast the other day, I heard this, and a lot of the time, I'll be honest, that comes from like, you know, from um. Uh, Aaron Mankey and his shows because he'll mm. always come out with something on his shows and I'll be like, "Whoa, that is so cool!" and I never knew that, and it it has actually helped me to become, I think, easier a person to talk about because we ought to talk with or speak with people. Saves me uh, messing my words up, um, and but. Because, like we were saying before we started, you know, I'm in a certain situation in a party situation or a situation with loads of people. I find myself very inside, internal and I'll go and hide away from it all. So, when the people I went to the party last night, when it went down and there weren't so many people there, I found myself being a bit more open to conversation then because. It's almost like, oh, God, there's so many people there. Where does where does Little Marv fit among this big crowd? And I, I don't know. I'm, this is becoming very, very therapeutic. Thank you.
2: <laughs> no problem, man. Um, I am very glad that we went into that. And I know when we stop recording, you're going to ponder, am I going to cut this out or keep it in? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm not pondering that at all.
2: That's good, man. Um, I mean, we are talking about the same things in different languages. You talk about sci-fi and movies and media. I talk about weird shit and aliens abducting people and stuff like that. Um, But they're two different languages to express the same turmoils of being a human in, in today's society. And I mean, that's the, been the story of humanity from from its inception we've always had stories storytelling you know media and these stories have always been about weird things that we use to kind of circumvent talking directly about our problems um as you wanted to go into like mythology greek mythology
1: (laughs) yep i'm a lover of the ray Harryhausen films
2: oh yes um funnily enough uh I can't remember now what I—I what I had a cool thought related to that, but I can't remember.
1: Okay, I wish I didn't have twenty minutes left on my Zencaster time. I can, we could talk for a much longer than this, otherwise, because of the time. I mean, I'd much rather talk for much longer about that. I'll—I'll I'll be honest. They—they they are the magic moments that I like in the show, as opposed to the, the bullet points. The bullet points are the I've got to hit those. Whereas the the general conversation and tangents we go off on are the dare I say the the, the interesting,
2: and I I love how uh, an episode about me turned into an episode about you.
1: <laughs> I love turning how the tables dare on people. You do that again. <laughs> yep. For anybody listening, this this is, that just then is a very good display of what happens in Vuk's show where you'll expect it to go one way and then it goes somewhere where you never really thought it was going to go.
2: Oh, yeah. and that, That's what I say. Like, I, <clears throat> if I'm going to have a guest, I want it to be somebody who would be open to this type of discussion and who will leave the discussion a changed person. Of course, I'm the one learning, but I want to kind of leave them with a gift a portion of myself that they can spread around ponder over and digest and spread around and talk to their friends about an idea that i put into their minds <laughs> a bit selfish but you know it's it's like a spiritual shamanic exchange between people <laughs>
1: I think I should retitle this Tracing Owls Meets Pods Like Us because you've (laughs) you've turned this show around on its head. Oh, man, I love that. (laughs) So... How is the show recorded then? Is it recorded much the same way as we do now when you have the chats? Do you like get on a, a, a Zoom call or, or something similar to that? Or Zencast- yeah, mostly now?
2: Zencaster when it was free. Um, I haven't done any episodes for months, so I don't know how Zencaster works now. It's pay to play, basically.
1: There's a limit now on the free. That's why we've got this problem with the time. There's a a a free
2: form of Zencaster, but if you allow them to put ads, and I am very strictly against ads and marketing.
1: So you'll do that. You've already mentioned little bits that you'll clip out of episodes uh, to make the flow work. And then, so where are we going Okay, so
2: there's something funny I did recently. You know how I do those comedy bits if my uh, recording gets screwed over. Yep. So there's a part where about eight minutes of my uh, guest's audio is totally blank. And you can just hear me asking him questions and just silence. So I made it that I'd ask a question or say something, and then an AI voice would say what I claim was what they said, but is actually a comedic bit. (laughs) Like I'd ask them something and they'd say, oh, you're such an asshole or something like that. (laughs)
1: <laughs> That's brilliant! That's yeah. so creativity. I've mentioned that before. Where you've done that, we needed the conversation with uh, with uh, Christine.
2: With yeah, her, her her dog barked, um, and and she was like, "What what the heck's happening, man?" And then I put a poem, my myself reciting a poem of her being mauled by uh, a rougarou, which is a werewolf in Louisiana.
1: Yep. and that that was that was gold to me i love that uh so we, we, you've already touched on the logo which was created by christina the yes. crescent hair uh, and i well, mean you
2: have- for, for your oh. listeners like go uh, listen to marv's episode pods like us meets the crescent hair is a like is a title like that that's an amazing episode it's so, almost two hours but like I think it's one of your rare discussions where you're talking with somebody who has nothing to do with digital uh, video or audio media or podcasting. She's just an artist of the weird.
1: Yeah. Uh, I made a conscious conscious decision at a certain point um, where uh, Pods Like Us is a a, a title um, which can allow for... All sorts of diversions, should we say?
2: Exactly. (laughs) Like what we did now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, Yeah. We've just turned into an episode of Therapy Bites, essentially. And and you
2: know, like, I've been urging you to have me on for months. And you're like, okay, okay, and nothing ever happens. And I'm like, Marv is probably intimidated of the idea of having me on again, because you know something like this will happen. (laughs)
1: I'm open to these things happening because I think that's what makes it interesting and it allows me to get something out of it. Again, I'm, I'm being incredibly selfish.
2: Yes. As you should. How dare I? How dare I? And this is the best form of selfishness. It's not to be popular or to get ad revenue. Um, (laughs) Selfishness to learn something and to change as a person.
1: To 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 build build each build build ourselves and make make us well yeah yeah to change who we are, absolutely. Uh, So um, don't beat around the bush, Marv, Just just (laughs) say so. um, And then uh, you you know we're back to the back to the boring and the mundane here. So the music for the show, then uh, go on. Okay, so
2: the intro music is from the same artist who did the Darwin's Deviations intro music. Uh, His name is Francisco Sanchez. He is from Spain. Um, He puts his music up online for free. Um, We we chatted a bit. He's a very nice guy. He also loves the (laughs) X-Files, just like me and you. Yes,
1: absolutely. I love the X-Files.
2: Did you notice the outro music for all my episodes, Marv? So the outro music is this wonderful melody that kind of gets gets you pondering about the cosmos about nature about your role in the universe it's very relaxing a lot of people love that ending music i put and the point is my opening music is you know very sci-fi scary woo you know yeah um but by the end it's a more spiritual melody and that's what I do with the paranormal on my show. I talk about things that are superficially scary—monsters and ghosts and aliens—and then I make it very uh, nuanced, uh, deep, philosophical, and spiritual in the end.
1: That's lovely. I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words after that one. But
2: <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm it's very—it's it, yeah. very important for somebody who wants to do a very personal spiritual journey podcast, whatever yeah. you're talking about, even if you're talking about cardboard boxes, to be mindful of what you're doing. You know, just the way I am I layer the music. First, it's scary music for the intro, and then it's spiritual for the outro. And that's where I'm going with my conversations. Uh, it's just a little dose of mindfulness that kind of enhances what you're doing and people who hear it uh pick up on that because you don't hear very often uh that kind of mindfulness in most mainstream podcasts
1: so i was about to look for that that, that the, the, there is a show all about people that talk about cardboard boxes and packaging um you, you wouldn't be surprised to know that uh, but if anyone's interested. If, if they're, if interested, they're enjoying
2: well, it, if they're enjoying it, then you are picking up on the spirit of the conversation. You don't care about the boxes. <laughs> you care about the people who are talking about them.
1: And why are they interested? What what is it about them and about boxes that is a part of them and what makes it who they are? Yes. It's like the uh, the Get Flushed um, uh, podcast, which is about somebody that talks about uh, portable toilets.
2: That sounds like something I'd be into. <laughs> because I, I make a lot of fart and poop jokes for your listeners. Yes, I'm a very deep philosophical thinker, but I'm also not uh, very academic about it. So I insert a lot of uh, comedy and satire.
1: We've spoken before about this, and I've said to you that I think that comedy and satire is a very good way of teaching people and being educational.
2: Yes. And you're also kind of lifting up their defenses so you can stab them in the gut with the actual uh, deep philosophical thing that you want
1: to transfer to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So what advice would you give to people if they wanted to make their own podcast?
2: Apart from all the advice I already (laughs) stated, I know,
1: absolutely. I think you've got it all in there.
2: Yeah. Already. I mean, it all depends on what you want from a podcast. And if you're listening right now to this, if you're somebody who's into mainstream marketable podcasts, I mean, you wouldn't be listening to me now. So you're obviously somebody who'd be interested in more, Uh, a deep philosophical, spiritual, indie type of thing. So just do whatever you feel needs to be, but not necessarily what you want. If things don't go the way you want or plan, that's good. As long as you are feeling spiritually fulfilled by what you're creating, it does not need to be what you want, what you plan, and it does not need to be successful uh, in any objective way, if it is already successful to you and if you get something out of it.
1: Great. Yep. And you don't need hundreds and thousands of pounds worth of equipment to do it with either.
2: Oh, I have a shitty Chinese microphone because I'm in Bosnia and stuff is expensive here. And even the stuff we have is, you know, cheap merchandise from overseas.
1: Well, going back to the show that you did previously, Darwin's Deviations, that was created on a telephone.
2: Yeah, exactly. I learned to edit, so I did all the recording on a phone, and then I sliced and diced. I, essentially, what I was doing in Audacity is kind of like cartoon animation, but with audio.
1: Yep. You, you can do it no matter what equipment you've got. Just just enjoy doing it. Yes. That's what you're doing it for. Yes. Enjoy it and make it that every time that you go there it's not something that you don't want to do or it's like oh god I'm making another podcast it's got to be something that you want to do
2: oh man so i uh, constantly stumble upon indie podcasts that just start started who have you know no views or nothing and i listen and i love hearing it even though the audio is crap <laughs> yeah. and i kind of feel like I should be a mentor to these people. I've been through this for the past three years as an indie podcaster with shit equipment, who doesn't know what he's doing. But if you have that something, that spark that I can feel through the shitty audio, you know, something that intrigues me, something that tells me that you are enjoying what you're doing. I I love to contact those people and tell them, just keep doing what you're doing.
1: You know, I'm conscious of this Zencaster timer thing going on here, but I'm going to have to say this. It must be interesting, though, for you, where speaking about that, um, it's almost like you're part of a community now, uh, almost as though people rally around you. I mean, that might be a very uncomfortable way to put it, but there's all these podcasters and all these uh, people that are involved in the arts and all these things who just seem to, you know, be, they've made themselves friends essentially with you and you have this community now around you.
2: So a big part of my podcasting, I'll keep it brief because this could be a whole episode, but myself and Todd, apart from our podcasts, kind of in the shadows, behind the curtains, uh, weave this whole uh, community around us. And we have gotten a lot of people to talk with each other and then go off and collaborate with each other and so on and so on. And that's the most beautiful part. I don't care as much about my podcast as much as I care about other people being inspired by the example that I put out there and then doing something of their own that can inspire me. So I, I can see reflections of what I'm doing in the creativity and uh, work of other people who are influenced by what I'm putting out there.
1: That's great. So what podcast do you like to listen to?
2: Okay, man. So since we have not much time in (laughs) Zencaster, obviously Create Magic, Todd Purse's show, uh, you always post about it, so people probably know all about it. Uh, Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling uh, from Jordan Heath and uh, Ryan. Uh, You had Jordan on your show. Um, Jordan and I have been friends for the past two years talking about these things very intricately. And uh, other podcasts, uh, there is Six Degrees of John Keel by Barbara Fisher. She is mostly focused on talking with experiencers of strange phenomena, and she is an experiencer herself. Uh, She had me on her show a year ago, which led to me having this wonderful uh, manic period of creating this wonderful content, uh, inspired by my conversation I had with her. And she has been, you know, a collaborator with me, not on the podcast as much, but behind the scenes. And uh, most uh, recently, the Esoteric Book Club from my uh, friend Jason, we yep. have been talking a lot and uh, collaborating, and I see that we have inspired each other a lot and kind of reshaped our views on these topics.
1: I've got, I've got them on my feed. Um, so where can people find you and get hold of you then, Vuk? So you can find me
2: anywhere except YouTube. Uh, <laughs> I mean, people are listening to a podcast about podcasts, so they know where to find podcasts. Yep. Uh, but but it's yeah, um, you can follow me on Instagram. I don't have Twitter anymore because I don't like Twitter, especially I don't like UFO Twitter. Um, and I mean that's it. I do have a Facebook, but I'm not active there as much.
1: Problem with Twitter is that there's too many twits there.
2: Yeah, She's and even w- with its renaming of X, um, even though I am an X Files fan, I still am not interested. <laughs>
1: Oh, God, that's a dreadful, dreadful change right there. It it says everything about it. Yes. Anyway, thank you for speaking with me today, Vuk. We're going to carry on talking after this. No problem. But anyway, you can find pods like us. Well, you're listening to us, so you know where to find us. Uh, Also, we're available on Instagram. We're still on um, Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. Uh, although I've, I've transferred to threads as well. And you can contact us through podslikeus at gmail.com. I will try and I will push actually uh, the marvzone.org if you want to go there for any more weird thoughts from my very strange and uh, nerdy brain, shall we say? <laughs> anyway, thank you everyone for listening and hope you're listening again to another episode of Pods Like Us. (音楽) Thank you.